If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. If you're not sure where Hebrews is, Hebrews is in your New Testament, sort of in the back third of your New Testament, the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at chapter 3, verse 13 this morning. And uh, we are in the midst of something very, very exciting that is going on here at Thrive. And uh, it is called Sweeter Than Honey. Everyone say Sweeter Than Honey. Sweden Honey is a series we're doing here at Thrive, which is all about relationships. Everyone say relationships. It's all about how we can have sweeter, stronger relationships together. It's because we believe here at Thrive that the most important and the most precious gift that God has given to you is your relationships. And that's why over the past seven, eight weeks, we've been looking at eight essential keys to having sweeter, stronger relationships together. So to give you a little bit of a recap of what we've been talking about over the past eight weeks, if you're joining us just today, here's a little recap of some of the stuff we've been talking about. This bucket represents your relationships, all right? Okay? Uh, And what's going to happen is... I'm going to show you different keys that we've talked about over the past seven, eight weeks. We began with talking about gratitude. Everyone say gratitude. We want to choose an attitude of gratitude in everything that we do. Next is we talked about respect. Everyone say respect. It's about showing worth and honor to others. Number number three is empathy. Everyone say empathy. It's about standing in the shoes of someone else who can share their feelings. The other one we talked about was humility. Everyone say humility. Tell your neighbor, say, you look very humble. That's good. Okay, next one is boundaries. Everyone say boundaries. To have healthy relationships, we need healthy boundaries. Another one we talked about was forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. Is that from time to time, when conflicts arise, when there's hurt, we need to forgive. Last week, we talked about something very, very important. We talked about responsibility. Everyone say responsibility. Thanks so much, Kelvin. Give Kelvin a big, big hand. Have you guys enjoyed this series called Sweeter Than Honey? We've gotten some amazing feedback over the past seven, eight weeks, different people talking about how their relationships have changed as a result of the series. And this morning, I've got the exciting privilege of sharing with you the final key to the Sweeter Than Honey series. Are you guys ready? All right. Well, you guys have been with us for seven, eight weeks now, talking about different keys, talking about empathy, humility, boundaries, gratitude. What could possibly be the last key that we're talking about this morning? Well, today, I got to tell you, this key is probably the one that's closest to my heart. And it's closest to my heart because we would not be a church together here at Thrive if it were not for this key. We, in fact, I don't think I would be married to Charlene if we were not for this key that we're talking about this morning. Today, the message I'm here to, call, to share with you is called Game Changing Encouragement. Today, we're talking about the relationship key of encouragement. Let's all read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 together in a big, loud voice. Help me preach this morning. What does it say? It says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Today, we're talking about game-changing encouragement, how we want to be people who encourage one another because we believe God is a God of encouragement. If you believe that, say amen is that God is not just a God who wants to condemn you or judge you, but he is a God, believe it or not, who wants to encourage you, who has plans for your life that are good, who has purposes for your life that are for your good. And because of that, he is a God who wants to encourage you in that plan and that purpose. And because of that too, we want to be people of encouragement. And so let me begin with the definition this morning of what encouragement is. Why don't you take some good notes this morning and write this key down. What is encouragement? Well, encouragement means to inspire someone with hope and confidence to face their circumstances. 
See, encouragement is when I inspire someone else to have hope about their future. Encouragement is when I inspire someone else to have courage to face their circumstances. And how many of us know that in relationships, encouragement is absolutely necessary. To encourage literally means to put courage in someone, in courage. And have you ever tried to encourage someone and it didn't quite go the way that you hoped? Has that ever happened to you before? Try to instill some hope in someone or try to give someone some confidence. And for some reason, beyond your control or maybe within your control, things didn't quite happen the way that you hoped. Can I share with you a couple times when that happened to me? All right. I'm still learning to encourage people. Here's one time when it didn't quite work out the way that I planned. One time a few years ago, I was meeting a very prominent leader in our city. My first time meeting him. We met at a restaurant. We started chatting, getting to know each other. During the middle of the conversation, this man, he pulls out his wallet and he shows a picture and before he explained to me what that picture is, I, I automatically assumed that I knew who it was. I was like, hey, you've got, a, you've got a very handsome son. He looked at the picture. He looked at me. He looked at the picture. He looked at me again. And with a very weird look on his face, he said, I'm sorry, that's not my son. That is my wife. Oh, I'm... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you've got a very beautiful wife, okay? And, and that, was, that was an awkward moment. I want to say awkward. That was a little awkward. But he was very gentle and gracious about it. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, another time, another time I was trying, trying to encourage someone. We were in a small group gathering. Some of you guys know that at the church we have small groups. Everyone say small groups. If you're not in a small group yet, you want to make sure you're in one because small groups is a great way to encourage one another. And I still happen to be in a small group. This is many, many years ago before Charlene and I were married. And I was in a small group with a bunch of young people, and we had to encourage one another. We were supposed to say something encouraging about the person across from us. And so the person across from me happened to be this girl that I've known for many, many years. We're good friends. And what I wanted to say to her on that day was, you know, uh, Gloria, you are very uh, well-rounded. You know, you're very good at different things. You're very good at, uh, you know, studies. You're very athletic, uh, you're, you're, you're a leader, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I wanted to say you're very well-rounded. But for some reason, I don't know why, instead of saying, Gloria, you are very well-rounded, I said, Gloria, you are very, uh, you're very, uh, you're, you're very well-proportioned, okay? And, 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 and what, what I, well, the worst part was I, I had my hand sort of in the air this way, like, you're very well-proportioned. And it was just, it was just uh, what was meant to be uh, an encouragement, meant, started to sound a bit more like an awkward pickup line. Everyone say awkward. It was a little awkward. Thankfully, she took it well, and it was okay. But here's the thing. Have you ever tried to encourage someone that didn't quite work out the way that you hoped? In fact, let me ask you this question. How encouraging of a person are you? If I had to ask the people closest to you, people that you live with, people that you work with, people who know you best, how encouraging are you? Or how encouraging is Kelvin? How's, how encouraging is Adam? How encouraging is, you know, Sally? Then what would they say? Would they say, yeah, he's very, very encouraging. He's always inspiring people. He's always, you know, building confidence in people. Or they'll be, oh, no, he's super critical of people all the time. He's not really that encouraging at all. What would they say about you? Well, let's do a little test today, all right? I'm going to give you 10 statements. We call this our encouragement test. These are 10 clues of an encouraging person. Let's just look at them right now and see how many of them apply to you. If each one applies to you or if anyone applies to you, I want should give yourself one point. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Let's take a, take a look. Clue number one. I often go out of my way to speak uplifting words to others, not for personal gain, but just to bless them. In other words, you love to go up to people and compliment them. Hey, good job today. Hey, great job. Hey, you did really well there. And you're not doing it because you want to curry some favor with that person. You simply want them to feel better and have a good day. Is that you? If that's you, then give yourself one point. Number two. 
I am a positive thinker. Even in difficult situations, I can easily point out the blessings and the opportunities. Encouraging people tend to see things as half full rather than half empty. Is that you? If that's you, then give yourself a point. Number three, people often comment that what I said or what I did inspired them to face a challenge in their lives. Has that ever happened to you before? If that's you, give yourself a point. Number four, encouraging others comes naturally to me. I'm a natural cheerleader for others. It's as if you were born with pom-poms in your hand, right? It's kind of like you're just like, oh, go, 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 rah, 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 you can do it. No, you, 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 this is not going to be too difficult for you. Don't give up. You can do it. It just comes naturally to you. Or you someone who's like, I never say those words. That's just weird and foreign to me. If, if that's you, then give yourself a point or not, depending on how you answer that one. Number five, people like to come to me for comfort and help in their tough times, and I'm happy to be there. In other words, you are a natural counselor to your friends. When your friends have problems, they all tend to go to you. They're like, oh, yeah, talk to, talk to Grace. She's really good about these kind of things. And, and you're happy to be there. You're not like, no, don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me about your problems. If, if, if that's you, give yourself a point or not, depending on your situation. Number six, I'm known for saying things like, you can do it. Great job. Don't give up. Turn, turn your neighbor and say, don't give up. Say, great job. Let me ask this question. Was that the first time you said that this past week or this past year or ever? Or is this something, is this like the 10th time you've said it today, all right? Depending on your situation, give yourself a point. Number seven, I give my words and my presence to others, believing it can make a real difference in their lives. In other words, when you spend time with people, you're very intentional. You'll speak things with the purpose of wanting to encourage people. You, you, you spend time with people with the purpose of encouraging people. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number eight, I enjoy praying for others. For you, prayer is not a duty, it's not an obligation. It is a joy. And you love not just praying for people, but you love praying with people, and you love to see people encouraged as you guys pray together. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number nine, I'm quick to identify when a person needs encouragement, and I enjoy thinking of creative ways to meet their need. And so you're, you're often thinking, oh, what, what's a way that I can you know, do something creative to bless them today? It's their birthday day. How can I do something creative that's going to you know, meet their need for encouragement? Maybe I'll sing them a song, or maybe I'll write them a letter, or maybe I'll do something artistic. Maybe that's you. If that's you, give yourself a point. Number 10, final one, I'm inclined to praise people more than to criticize them. In other words, you're not a critic who's got the, this spirit of criticism in you where you're just kind of always looking down on people, what's wrong with that person, what's wrong with that person, but you're someone who's very inclined to notice the good things and praise people for it. Now, how'd you score on that encouragement test just now? See, whether you scored zero or five or ten, I'm not going to ask you to say it out, but here's the thing. Deep down, I think we all believe in the importance of encouragement. I think all of us know and acknowledge that on some level at least, encouraging people, inspiring them, giving them hope, giving them confidence is a good thing. If you believe that, say amen. But let me drill down with you a little bit more. Why don't you write this down? When you encourage others, you launch them to become what, who they were made to be. When you encourage others, you launch them to become a greater version of themselves. See, Nelson Mandela he was once in prison for 27 years in South Africa. And that was before he became the president of South Africa. For 27 years, he spent time in prison. And he said that during those 27 years, in circumstances where he always felt like he wanted to lay down in hopelessness, there was one thing that kept him standing. You know what it was? It was a poem. 
It was a poem called Invictus. I'm not going to share that poem with you, but it was those words of encouragement that helped him to keep on standing and persevering through 27 years in prison until he could get out and eventually become the president of South Africa. When you encourage others, when others encourage you, there's this ability to kind of step into your destiny, to become more of the person that God made you to be. You know, for example, this past week, uh, you know, we were at home, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but of course, last week we talked about responsibility. I want to say responsibility. How this is a responsibility is an important relationship key. And I know in this past week, there were a couple times when Pastor Charlene and I, we were leading a small group a couple times, and we're talking about responsibility, and we're asking, oh, who's the most responsible person you know? And, uh, you know, each time we talked about the discussion, um, you know, Pastor Charlene would always have the same answer. She would say, you know, the most responsible person I know is Pastor JB. Right? And, and, and it was, aww. And, 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 and she would say stuff like, yeah, like, you know, when, when, the, when, the, when the dishes need washing, he's there to wash them. When the light bulbs need changing, he's there to change them. And you know what? I, I was so glad I joined that small group. I was like, wow, I'll, I'll pay you later, Pastor Shar. Thank you so much. That was such a blessing. And I'm so glad I'm here. And you know what? As a result of her words of encouragement, you know what happened this past week? Is that I wanted to wash the dishes even more. Right? I want to be that much more responsible about changing the light bulbs. And so this past week, our dishes have been extra clean, extra fast. You know, our light bulbs have been extra bright. And, and it's because of something called encouragement. Everyone say encouragement. Amen. Wives in this place, take a tip from that. And here's another thing is when you encourage others, your relationships become sweeter and stronger. That's what we're talking about this past year. How to have sweeter, stronger relationships. Encouragement is a huge part of having sweeter and stronger relationships. There's a marriage expert called John Gottman, and he has been studying, researching marriages for the past 20 years. And he has found, literally, after literally studying thousands of marriages, he has now come up with a ratio which he believes is quite determinative of whether a relationship is going to last or not. In fact, he has this thing where he says, okay, just show me a couple, and I'm just going to spend time with them for three minutes, and just by watching them interact, I can tell whether this couple is going to last or it's going to keep on going or it's going to fail. And he gives this ratio. He says that in a healthy marriage that lasts, the ratio is this. For every one complaint, there are five encouraging words. For every one criticism, there are five words of appreciation and thanks. It's this idea that when you make it a habit of speaking encouraging words to one another, when you live in a home that is filled with encouragement, the relationships in that home will be happier and healthier. If you believe that, say amen. But the opposite is also true. If you're someone who speaks discouraging words, you're often complaining, putting each other down, and the ratio is that, you know, for every encouraging word you speak, there's like 10 complaints. What's going to happen? That relationship is not going to last, and it's not going to be very, very, very healthy for the time that it does last. That's because when you encourage others, your relationships become sweeter and stronger. See, these are basic reasons why encouragement is so important to us individually and for us in our relationships. But let me tell you this. There are all sorts of reasons why people will sometimes fail to give encouragement, where people will sometimes hesitate or just not give the encouragement that they should give. Let me see if you can relate to any of these reasons we're talking about today. Five reasons that people don't give encouragement. Number one is too focused on themselves. Is that when, when I'm so focused and consumed by my own problems, my own stuff, my own hurts, my own feelings, my own needs, it's really tough to think about being encouraging for other people. Is that something you struggle with? That could be a reason why you're not as encouraging to the people in your home or your workplace as you'd like to be. Another reason, number two, is when I'm too focused on everything that's wrong with the other person. Has this ever happened to you before? 
is that you, know, you, you, you think you should encourage someone, but you find it so hard to do so because all you can think of is everything that's wrong with that person or everything that you think is wrong with that person. You're fo- so focused on their flaws, their weaknesses, their failures, that you look at this person, and you're like, what is there to encourage? And that's why some people, they will even find that it's easier to encourage strangers than it is to encourage the people in their own home. It's because they just don't know the strangers that much. But when you get to know the stranger and you find out more about the weaknesses, then, oh, I I don't know how to encourage that person anymore. Has that ever happened to you before? It's almost like because you focus so much on that person's weaknesses, it cancels out your ability to give them any encouragement at all. If that's ever happened to you, then maybe that's why you don't give the encouragement that you should. That's reason number two. Reason number three. Some people say, the reason why I'm not that encouraging is because encouragement is just not my gift. It's just, I'm not a natural encourager, okay? That's just not the way that I was made. And and here's the thing. In the Bible, it does say that God has gifted certain people with what's called the gift of encouragement. It's this spiritual gift that you are able to exercise where when you speak or do things, people are just encouraged quite easily by the stuff you do. Some people have the gift of encouragement. But I want you to read a couple of verses with me right now. Let's look back at Hebrews 3, 13 together. Read it with me in a loud voice one more time. One, two, three, it says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to Christians everywhere. Everyone say everywhere. He's not just writing to people with the gift of encouragement. He's not saying, oh, hey, guys, with the gift of encouragement, girls with the gift of encouragement, go and encourage one another daily. No, he's talking to every single Christian at that time, and God's word still speaks to us today, is that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then we are called to be people who encourage one another, whether or not you think you've got a gift for encouragement. If you believe that, say amen. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11 with me. It says something similar. 1, 2, 3, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Paul, he's a church planter. He's planting churches. He's planted a church in the city of Thessalonica. And what he does is he tells the church there. He says to all of them, not just the leaders, not just the people who are gifted encouragement, but he says to every person, every brother and sister, every follower of Jesus, you want to be encouraging. You want to encourage one another and build each other up. And so even if you think, oh, encouragement is not my gift, that is not an excuse. You and I, we are made to encourage one another. If you believe that, say amen. Tell the person to you, I was made to encourage you. I was made to encourage you. Praise God. You and I, we were made to encourage others. That's part of the reason why God placed you on this earth. It wasn't just for yourself. It wasn't just for your own needs, your own happiness, your own agenda. But God placed you on this earth so that you could be an encouragement to other people. If you believe that, say amen. Reason number four that we don't encourage is we think, oh, that person doesn't need my encouragement. Oh, that person's got so many other people in their lives. They don't need my encouragement. My encouragement doesn't really matter to them. They have enough people taking care of them. I can just do some other stuff. A lot of people think that way. And, you know, I I once used to think that way as well. But over time, I've learned something, which is that regardless of how well put together a person is, regardless of how powerful or influential or famous that person is, people are hungry for encouragement. The young The old, the powerful, the weak, everyone's favorite food is something called encouragement. Amen. You know, once I was counseling at a camp, and I was a counselor for a group of young men, teenage boys, and I was speaking with one of the young men in that group that I just met and found out that he'd come from a really, really tough background, really, really tough childhood. 
and toward the end of the camp, I just wanted to write an encouragement note just to say, hey, I'll be praying for you, man, and, and you know, God's got a plan for you. Never give up and that kind of stuff. I just wrote it really simply, and I gave it to him. At the, I folded it up. I gave it to him on the last day of the camp, and he said, thank you. And I didn't see him for many, many years after that. One day, I'm walking along Robson Street, and then I, I meet this girl uh, with a bunch of people, and we start talking. I realize that this girl is the, is the girlfriend of that, of that guy that I wrote to. And he's, she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been dating him for a couple of years. And are you, oh, are, are you JB? You're, oh, you're the one who wrote that letter to him, right? I was like, how do you know? Oh, yeah, it's because he, he still keeps it in his wallet every day. And, and he, in fact, like, he, keeps, he takes it with him wherever he goes. And I'm like, seriously? And, and, and it's not because I'm a great letter writer. It's because people are hungry for encouragement. Amen. You know, once I was sitting in church, I grew up in a, an awesome church uh, here in the city of Vancouver, very large church. I was listening to the senior pastor of that church uh, speaking on the stage, preaching. And, you know, at that time, I was growing in my relationship with God, and I realized the more and more that, you know, if I'm going to have this kind of vertical relationship with God, that part of it is having a better, stronger relationship with other people. Amen. It's that the vertical and the horizontal go hand in hand. That's the cross. And so I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a letter or a note, just to encourage my senior pastor. And I'd never done it before. I thought, okay, I'll try. And, then, and so I, I, I took one of those offering envelopes that you might even find in, in the front or the back of your chairs. I took one of them, and I just, I remember, I, still, I think I used a red pen. And I don't think you're supposed to use red pen to, to write letters, some people say. But I used a red pen, I remember. And I, I, I wrote a little note to, to, to the pastor. I said, hey, pastor, just want to say thank you so much for the message today. Really blessed by it. And then what I did was at the end of the service, I, I, I found him on the, on the stage. I gave it to him and said, hey, this is for you. He looked at the note, he looked at me, and said, thank you. Years later, every time I would see him, even to this day, when I see him, and he, you know, he's now 80 years old, when I see him, he will always say, and thank you for that note. That really means a lot. Even this past summer, I was speaking at a youth conference in the States, and one of the youth counselors was a girl who happens to be the daughter of that pastor. And she came up to me, and we saw each other. Hey, haven't seen each other in years. And you know what she said to me? She's like, oh, yeah, you know what? My dad still remembers your note. He talks about it all the time when he, when he talks about you. And I'm like, seriously? See, he, this guy is one of the most prominent pastors in our city. He's got influence all over. He has connections all over. And yet he treasures an encouragement note from, some, from, from, from a teenage boy like that. That, to me, is pretty amazing. It goes to show that people of all stripes are in need of encouragement. If you believe that, say amen. And that's why, you know, even at our church-wide retreat this past year or, or our marriage conference the past couple weeks, you know, we have the most favorite part that many people say is my favorite part of that retreat or that conference was that time when we received encouragement personally during a prayer time. It's because we are hungry for encouragement. Tell the person next to you and say, you need encouragement. It's because people everywhere are hungry for encouragement. Here's a question of you today. Who is someone in your home or someone in your workplace or someone in your school or your small group, or your church, who could use an encouraging word from you. See, don't assume, oh yeah, that's not my gift, or that person doesn't need my encouragement. Assume that they do, and go ahead and give them that encouragement, because if you do, you're going to give them something that they absolutely need. Reason number five. Reason number five why sometimes we don't encourage is because we say, I don't know how to encourage others. 
I, I'm not really sure what to do or what to say or how to do it. You know, Pastor Charlene, you know, she would, when, when, when we first got married 14 years ago, Pastor Char would say to me, you know, I'm, I'm not a natural encourager. I'm not really sure how to do it. But, you know, after the past 14 years, Charlene has become the most important encourager in my life and the best encourager in my life. If you believe it, say amen. She's amazing at encouragement. And it's something that she, I guess, learned to work at. And she got better at being an encourager. And it's hope for both of it's hope for every single one of us as well to know that you can get better at encouraging others. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. So we're gonna end today by talking about how do you become a better encourager? How do you give game-changing encouragement? Let me give you a few tips on how to do that. Write this down, and hopefully it's gonna help you today. Number one is this: don't confuse encouraging someone with rebuking and criticizing them. Some of you are like, huh? Duh. But see, here's the thing. In the context of relationships, the word encouragement is one of the most overused and misunderstood words that there are. Uh, for example, I'll, sometimes I'll talk to parents who will be discussing their kids. Once I was counseling a father whose son was having some tough times in, in high school, and I, I asked the father, hey, father, what kind of encouraging words have you spoken lately to your son? And you know what the father said? The father said, hey, I encourage him every single day. Every single day, I tell him his math needs to be better. His algebra is not good enough. His science is bad. He's ugly. And we wish we had not, 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 not given birth to him. He, he, he said that kind of stuff. I was like, are you serious? You think that is encouragement? If that's not encouragement. That is called condemnation. Amen. Right? And, 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 and this is the thing, is, is that encouragement is inspiring someone to be better by affirming who they are right now. Encouragement is about saying, these are the things that you're doing really well. These are the ways that you are improving, and it's awesome. I applaud you. This is good. You can do it. That is called encouragement. It's showing how that person is like Jesus more and more, or they're, they're, they're stepping into the image uh, that God has for that person. That is encouragement. Rebuking is something entirely different. It is disciplining that person. The goal is the same. You want to build the person up, but the approach is different. Rebuking is saying, I don't approve of what you're doing here. I need to warn you about this. If you keep on going this, in this direction, people are going to get hurt, including you. That is called rebuking. And how many of us know that encouragement and rebuke are not the same thing? If you believe that, say amen. It's funny, because a lot of parents get that confused. They think they're encouraging when they're actually rebuking. They think they're encouraging when they're actually just criticizing. You want proof that encouragement and rebuke are not the same thing? Can I give you an example? Sometimes when we're praying for people in you know, some special situations, we might need to do something called spiritual warfare, where we have to fight the enemy and say stuff like, you know, Satan, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you. You will never hear us pray, Satan, in Jesus' name, I encourage you. No, we're not going to say that. Oh, Satan, continue to do what you're doing. No, 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 no. See, rebuke and encouragement are two different things. Encouragement says, keep on doing. You're doing great. Rebuking is say, stop doing what you're doing and listen to me. Let me warn you. The two are different things. And yet Christians can get encouragement and rebuke confused all the time. And now could it be that the reason why your relationship today that is strained, that is not going through good times right now, could it be that the reason is because you've confused rebuke for encouragement? That you have been thinking you're encouraging the person when really you're just criticizing them. See, don't get me wrong. There are times in our relationships when rebuke is necessary. 
when a person is acting childish, when a person is not behaving in a mature way, if they're behaving in a destructive way that is hurting others or hurting themselves, sometimes you need to rebuke. Sometimes you need to step in and say, no, that is wrong. You need to stop that. You're acting childish. Stop it. And, and in fact, look at Titus 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 15. Read it with me in a loud voice. What does it say? It says, these then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. This is Paul talking to a leader in his church called Titus. And he's a mentor to, to this guy called Titus. And he's saying, okay, as you're leading this church, I want you to encourage and rebuke. Encourage means build them up with affirming words. Rebuke means when you need to, speak discipline over them. That's what pastors sometimes need to do. Sometimes as your pastor, I will be encouraging. In fact, every week, I will encourage you. I tend to lean toward encouragement. That's why you're going to find here at Thrive Church that we're a very encouraging church. Amen. Is that you leave this place hopefully not feeling depressed, but you, you, you leave this place feeling encouraged, inspired, feeling affirmed, feeling like, you know what, I can take on this coming week. That is our DNA as a church. But there are going to be times, and sometimes I'll do it, is when I will have a word of rebuke. Where I'll say, hey, we were not good enough in this area. we got to change in this area. That's why some of the sermons that I'll teach, they're not all the same. They're not called cookie-cutter sermons. Sometimes I'm going to give you a hold-up sermon where it's about comforting you, encouraging you, with the promises of God. Sometimes I'm going to give you what's called a build-up sermon, which is to give you stuff that's maybe not that easy for you to hear, but you need to hear it to help you grow. Sometimes I'm going to give you a fire-up sermon, where my goal is to put some fire underneath your butt so that you can keep on going in the direction that God wants you to go. It's because we all need encouragement and rebuke. If you believe that, say amen. Let me put it this way. Look at Titus, sorry, not Titus, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Read it with me in a loud voice. One, two, three. It says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See, Paul's now talking to all of the brothers and sisters, all the Christians in Thessalonica, and he's saying, hey, guys, gals, there are going to be times when you need to warn people, your friends. Sometimes you're going to have to encourage those who are timid among you. And that's, that's a role that sometimes you, as a follower of Jesus and as a member of God's family, that you have to do to encourage someone or maybe warn someone. Because in any relationship, write this down, for a relationship to grow, you need two things. You need pressure and you need support. You need pressure and support. Everyone say pressure. Everyone say support. We need them both. And see, here's the thing. Especially if you're in a position of leadership, in authority, you're leading a small group, you're a parent, you have kids, you have a, a company, you got, you know, you're, you're a boss or something like that, you're a team leader, you will have, find that there are times when you need to give encouragement and there are times when you need to give rebuke. You need both of them. And here's the thing. Let me give you a Street Fighter analogy. For those who ever played Street Fighter, you know, Ken, Ryu, Blanca, E. Honda, those guys, okay? So here's the thing. If, if all you do in a relationship is all you do is, is rebuke, all you do is criticize, all you do is push them this way, eventually one day you're going to push them away. And you're going to push them over the cliff. They're going to run away from you. If all you do is you hold them up with, oh, you're so great, you're awesome, you're the, yeah, but, but you never push them forward, you're just kind of always holding them up, they might be very friendly with you, but they'll never grow. See, it's not enough to have pressure on its own, it's not enough to have support on its own. What you need is this. This is where the street fighter comes in. What you need is you need pressure to push them forward, that means rebuking them sometimes. What you need is also encouragement, holding them up, and what you get is a hoyugan, Amen. Amen. You get a fireball that is put underneath them so they can become everything that they were made to be. Tell the person next to you, fireball. 
Fireball. Amen. Amen. Some of you guys even did the action just now. That's kind of cool. And see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In other words, there is a time to rebuke and there's a time to encourage. But the important thing is don't confuse the two. Amen? Don't think you're encouraging when you're actually rebuking. And so if you've got a rebuking or warning word to give someone, do not, please don't say, oh, can I encourage you right now? You suck. Right? Or, or can I encourage you right now? You're a jerk. No, don't, please don't say that. All right? Because you're just confusing people that way. If you have a critical word to say to someone, be gentler about it and be more clear about it. Say, okay, this is not easy for me to say, but I think I need to give you this as just a word of warning, a word of caution, a word of concern about this thing that's going on. If you want to say, like, oh, can I give you a suggestion about this? I, I'm just not sure if this is the right thing to be doing right now. What is that? That is a word of rebuke. It's a word of caution. It's a word of warning. That is different from a word of encouragement. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. If you want to know more about rebuking and how to speak a word, uh, speak the truth in love, we talk about that in Thrive Disciples School Level 2 called Love One Another. We also talk about it in Happy Healthy Home. It's a series we did earlier this year talking about 10 commandments for fighting well. If you want to know more about that, check that out. But that's the first thing. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Praise God. Number two. Number two. Why don't you write this down? Encourage others with your presence and good attitude. How many of us know that sometimes encouraging people, you don't even have to say anything and you can encourage them. Just by being there, just by having a good attitude, you can encourage people that way. For example, when, whenever Bradley, uh, you know, has, uh, my son Bradley, he has a special performance, maybe at school or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a recital of some sort, and he's on the stage. My, my favorite moment, one of my favorite moments is when we look at each other. When, when, when he and I, or when Pastor Shar and he make eye contact and there's this big smile on his face, it's almost, all of a sudden you can see just the confidence in him. It's because I've learned that over time, as parents, our presence in our child's life is encouragement. Amen. In fact, sometimes the best and most important gift you can give is the gift of your presence. You know, parents of young children, when, when your child is scared, when they're like, ah, nightmare, mommy, mommy, nightmare, nightmare, or they're just scared, what does that child want? That child wants your presence. And sometimes just mommy's presence and a calm attitude of, shh, it's okay. Okay, baby, it's okay. I'm here, mommy's here. It's okay. Sometimes that's all that that child needs because it's game-changing encouragement. Amen? It's your presence. It's your attitude. And that child goes from being very scared to being very secure. You didn't have to say a word. It was your presence. It was your attitude. It's because the most important gift that parents can give is the gift of their presence. Now, of course, your presence needs to be accompanied by a good attitude. Amen? Right? If you are, you know, you, you're present, but your attitude is bad, that's not very good. That's not very encouraging. If your child is scared, you're like, ah, mommy, 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 and you're even more scared, like, ah, child, child, ah, what's going to happen is that that's not going to help the child or you very much. It's not going to be very encouraging. But you know what? It's because your presence and your attitude matter. If you believe that, say amen. The same goes for adults. How many of you guys know that you can encourage your adult friends, your adult coworkers, your adult family members by your presence and by your attitude? When you're working with someone who's always there, on time, they're reliable, and they've got a great attitude. What is that? That is encouraging. It is a joy to work with people like that. But when you're working with someone who is not so reliable, who's not always there, who's often away, and not only are they away, but when they're around, they're complaining, they're lazy, they're, they're, they're just, just not very encouraging, they're, they're very critical. What is that? Oh, that is painful. That is a painful place and environment to work. It's because your presence and your attitude 
they all matter. Tell the person to you, your presence matters. It doesn't just matter at home. It doesn't just matter at work, but it also matters at church. Amen. Your presence matters at church. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. With me, read it out loud right now. One, two, three. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a famous verse. We look at this verse quite a bit, but what does it say? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And what is that saying? It's saying, how do you encourage one another? By continuing to meet regularly with each other. Don't give up. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll see. I'll be at church today, but I won't be at church next Sunday or the next Sunday or the next Sunday, but I'll see you next year. So, you know, no, no. That, that, that's, that's giving up meeting together. But instead of doing that, the Bible says, let us encourage one another. Let's keep meeting together because your presence matters. Your presence is encouraging. Amen. Amen. And so maybe you've been here for the past you know, few weeks doing sweeter than honey. I want to encourage you, keep on coming. We love your presence here, and we hope our presence is encouraging to you as well. And what, what, what is this? When you come to church also, it's come with a good attitude. Amen? Amen? Is that when you are in church and you're here, you know, it makes a difference how you listen to the word of God. If you're taking notes, you're saying amen. We read scripture, we read it out loud together. You know, we, we, we do those things, you respond. You know, that's, that's encouraging to you. It's encouraging to those around, it's encouraging to me. And, you know, but if, but if it's something where you're here, oh, Jamie's talking so long. Oh. See, if you do that, that is discouraging, Amen? Amen. It matters. Your presence matters. Tell the person, your presence matters. And so let's do that. When we worship together, let's lift our hands and worship with unity. When we, when we are like listening to the word of God, let's take good notes. Let's respond. When we say amen, let's get a good, good amen. Can I get a good amen right now? Amen. That's not very good. I said, can I get a good amen right now? Amen. Amen. It's about being encouraging. Praise God. Tell the person, let's encourage one another. Amen. Your presence and your attitude matter. Number three, speak words that affirm the good you see in other people. See, here's the thing. It's true that you can encourage people by your presence and by your attitude. That's called leading by example. But here's the thing. What separates very, very good encouragers from just average encouragers is in how they use their words. And see, here's the thing. Look at Genesis chapter 1, 1 to 5 with me right now. We're going to go all the way to the beginning of the Bible. Read in big, loud voice with me. Let's be encouraging to one another. One, two, three. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Keep on going. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and the separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. See, what's going on here? Famous passage, but I want you to recognize something. You know, sometimes a very helpful thing to do when you're reading the Bible is to look for things that are being repeated. Words that are repeated over and over. Phrases that are repeated over and over. Because these repeated words and phrases give you a clue as to what's behind this passage. What's the meaning behind this passage? What's the message behind this passage? And there are three phrases. Everyone say three phrases that are repeated over and over in Genesis chapter 1 when we read of how God made the heavens and the earth. And you know what those three phrases are? Let me tell them right now. The first one is, and God said. Everyone say, and God said. The second one is, and it was so. Everyone say, and it was so. The third one is, and God saw that it was good. Everyone say, and God saw it was good. And you're going to find this repeated over and over. God said, let there be light. It was so, there was light. 
and God saw that it was good. And God said, let veggies grow from the ground, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. And over and over, it repeats that. And here's the thing. Let me ask this question today. Why, why is it that when God creates the heavens and the earth, that he has to say something? He has to speak it out. Why does he bother saying, let there be light, and it was so? Why? If he's God, why does he have to say it? Can't he just like snap his fingers like Mary Poppins and it just boom happens? Or you know, why does he? Why didn't he just work in silence like most men? They just maybe whistle while they work and they just, they, they don't say anything, but they're just maybe singing. Hmm, 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 the earth, mm-hmm, here we go. Mm-hmm, trees, mm-hmm, alligator. Like, why doesn't why doesn't he just do that? Why does he actually say? it out loud. Let there be light. Can I tell you one major reason why? All right, are you ready for this? Here's the thing, is that this is because God is trying to teach something very powerful in Genesis chapter 1, which is the first purpose of language is not communication, it's creation. Hello, let me say that again. He's teaching us that the first purpose of language is not communication, it's creation. In other words, the reason why you have the ability to speak is not simply so you can communicate with the person next to you. The reason why God gives you the ability to speak is because there is creative power in your words to produce something. And just as God built the heavens and the earth with the power of his words, your words have creative power to make impact in your situations, in your life, and in your relationships. If you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. That's what he does. Amen. And see, here's the thing. Just as God can change situations with the power of his word, you, being in, made in God's image, you can change and impact your relationships just with the power of your word. Let me put it this way. Just as God created the world with his words, you create your world with your words. You create your world with your words. In other words, if you keep speaking negative, critical, complaining words about your marriage, about your home, about your kids, guess what your home, your marriage, and your kids is going to be? It's going to be a depressing world to live in. It's because you create your world with your words. If you keep speaking hopeless words about your marriage, oh, let's quit now. Oh, I don't want to marry you. I don't want to stay married to you anymore. Why is this so hard? I, I, let's, let's stop this now. Let's end it. I'm leaving. What, what do you do? What what happens when you speak hopeless words? It's a hopeless world that you create. It's because you create your world with your words. Tell tell, tell your neighbor that. You create your world with your words. Say that to them right now. Let me ask you a question today. Let me ask you a question today. In your home, in your family, in your workplace, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with your friends, what kind of world are you creating with your words? Is it an encouraging place? Or is it a really depressing place? See, here's the thing. If you will make it a point to learn the language of God's word, the language of the Bible, the language that says God is with me, the language that says nothing is impossible for those who believe, the language that says in all things God works for the good of those who love him, the language that says the best is yet to come, you know what's going to happen? As you speak those words out, as you use the power of your spoken word, what's going to happen is that your marriage is going to start transforming. Amen. Your relationships are going to start transforming. Your home is going to start transforming. Your school is going to start transforming. Your workplace is going to transform it as well. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place. It's the power of your spoken word. 
You create your world with your words. Proverbs 18, 21 says it this way. Read it in a loud voice with me. One, two, three, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What does that mean? What does it mean? In other words, it means that your words have creative power to build people up or to tear people down. Your words have creative power to bring life to people or to bring death to people, all depending on how you use your words. And so let me ask you this question. How are you using your words in your home, with your closest friends, with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, in your workplace? How are you using your words? Are you using them to build people up or are you using them to tear people down? Are you using them to bring life to people or are you using them to bring death to people? That's why speaking words of encouragement is so powerful and so important. If you believe that, say amen. That's why John Maxwell, he is a pastor. He's also a business leadership author. He talks about the 30-second rule. It's something that he applies. It's something that I try to apply as much as I can is, is that when I see someone for the first time or I see someone that I have already know but I'm just meeting them that day for the first time, is that within the first 30 seconds, I want to try to say something encouraging about them. Even something someone like, oh, hey, Kelvin, hey, good-looking guy, good to see you today, right? Or, or something like, oh, like, uh, hey, Sophie, thanks a lot for leading the prep team today. You did a great job. The first, within the first 30 seconds. Why? It's because your words have creative power. You might even want to try that. Tomorrow at home, the first thing you say is not, where is dinner or where is breakfast? Or, oh, you again? But instead you say, hey, honey, you look beautiful today. Or, hey, mom, thanks so much for preparing breakfast today. What is that? You're using the power of your words. Help says your words have power. Amen. Because the moment you speak it out, it, it, there's, there's life in that word. Is that, you know, if you say stuff like, oh, let's get a divorce. All of a sudden, even if you don't really mean it, all of a sudden the idea is there and it affects the way you think and feel and how you decide. It affects how the other person thinks and feels and how you decide. And so I usually tell the, the bride and the groom, whenever I'm officiating a wedding, I'll often tell, tell, tell them something along these lines. I'll say to the bride in his tux, I'll say to the bride, uh, sorry, did I say the bride in his tux? I'll say to the groom in her tux, in his tux, I'm sorry, groom in his tux, get the genders right, groom in his tux, bride in her gown, I'll tell them both, I'll say, I'll say to them both, I'll say, from now on, every day you have to make a choice. You either have to choose to be, you can choose to be your spouse's worst critic, or you can choose to be your spouse's biggest fan. Choose to be your spouse's biggest fan. The one who backs up your spouse no matter what. The one who says, you can do it. Nothing's impossible for those who believe. The one who backs them up and says, I believe in you. If you believe that, say amen. It's because there's creative power in your words. Look at Ephesians 4, 29 with me in a big, loud voice. Read it with me right there. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's about speaking words that build others up. Look at next version. Sometimes I find it it's helpful to read another translation. Look at the NLT version. What does it say? It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. It's about speaking words that affirm the people around you. Do you do that? Is that something that you do? If you want to learn to give game-changing encouragement to the people around you, it's about learning to speak words that affirm the good you see in others. If you believe that, say amen. Praise God. Has this been helpful this morning? This morning, I've got something very special for you guys. Uh, this is something that uh, we don't do every day, uh, every Sunday. 
but it's something that we did at the beginning of our Sweeter Than Honey series. I don't know if you remember this, but during our Sweeter Than Honey series, at the very beginning, we had uh, a couple come up to share some words of encouragement with one another. We had uh, a mother and a daughter share words of encouragement with one another or words of thanks with one another. We're talking about gratitude. Uh, we also had um, a husband and wife share with one another. This morning at our 930 service, we had a, a father speak words of encouragement to his son. Today we have something else that we're going to do. We're going to have a brother speak words of encouragement to his sister. Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready? All right. And um, the brother knows about it, but the sister doesn't. It's, uh, the, the sister is Rachel, all right? We're going to ask Rachel to come up to the front, okay? The brother is Ryan, and we're going to ask Ryan to come up to the front. And uh, so we're going to ask Rachel to take a seat, all right? And um, I'm going to pass the mic to Ryan, who has written some words of encouragement to bless uh, Rachel uh, today. So why don't you guys take a seat? Can we give Rachel and Ryan a big hand right now? All right. All right. So Rachel, have a seat. And this is just, this is just for you to receive. All right. And Ryan's going to uh, read some words that he has written for you. Okay. All right. Kind of surprised, eh? Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Ryan, why don't you take it away? All right. All right. Rachel, you're definitely one of the most special people that God plays in my life. You are special because you're not just my younger sister. Start again. Okay. <laughs> so, Rachel, you're definitely one of the most special people that God plays in my life. You're special because you're not just my younger sister. You're also the one that I'm most proud of and the one that I'm the most thankful for. <laughs> so, growing up, growing up together, you would always outperform me in many areas. I would never forget that it was you who taught me and prepared me for my Chemistry 12 provincial exam. And when I finally got to university, I remember uh, you told our parents that, hey, uh, they, need, they don't need to worry about you because if Ryan was able to get into university, you definitely would too. <laughs> so uh, jokes aside, when we were younger, I would also probably uh, tell all my friends that, hey, I had a sister who was like a genius like nobody else. And I liked the way uh, my friends, they would look at me and wishing that they had a genius sister like I did. So even today, you're still the one that I always proudly, that I'm so proud of. Like I will tell others that uh, my sister, uh, she's 29 years old, <laughs> but, but she's already an excellent pharmacist and she's actually managing a local pharmacy store. And uh, so keep trusting in God. I believe God will bless you with more moments like this for me to probably share with others. So you're also very good at looking after me. Mom always told us this story that when I was in kindergarten and when I got bullied by my classmate, you would always crawl over and bit that person and then quickly crawl away. And uh, you still look after me like that today. When I was away from God and when I was away from our own family and when I have all these bad habits and got into troubles all the time, uh, I know you never stopped praying for me, even though you really didn't like who I was back then. Uh, when I have any problem in my life, you always step out to help me out emotionally and financially sometimes. Uh, I never let you know, but I really cherish those moments when we would sit together on the sofa in the living room and just talk about everything. 
So you truly have a heart to bless others and protect others. I'm sure many people will be blessed and be protected like the way you protected me and blessed me. So I'm I'm extremely thankful to call you not just my sister but my best friend. To me, the best thing that God blesses me is that we're able to serve together not only in our own home but our spiritual home. I thrive. So I love you, Rachel. Let's give Rachel and let's give Ryan a big hand right now for all that. That was really cool. That was really cool. Praise God. Praise God. Tell your neighbor and say, I want to encourage you too. Yeah. Rachel had no idea, but that was really, really cool. Praise God. Praise God. Let's all read Romans chapter 14, verse 19 together right now. Let's read in a big, loud voice. One, two, three. It says, so let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Maybe ask a question today. Who is someone that you think needs your words of encouragement today? Who is someone in your life, maybe someone you live with, maybe someone you've taken for granted for a while, maybe someone that uh, you work with or someone that you're married to uh, that could use your words of affirmation this week? Can I tell you this? Your happiness in relationships is a product of the words that you speak. Your happiness in relationships is a product of the words you speak. It's almost like this phone. It's voice activated. Your happiness in relationships is voice activated. It's based on the words you speak to one another. You speak painful words, you have a painful relationship. You speak pleasant, encouraging words, you have a pleasant, encouraging relationship. If you believe that, say amen. And so whether it's through speaking to them directly or speaking about them in public, whether it's praying with them or for them, whether it's writing to them or texting to them, learn to use words to affirm the good you see in others. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Praise God. Amen. Last point, we're going to close. You guys have been awesome today. Number four, if you want to give game-changing encouragement, then it's about casting an uplifting vision of that person's future. Cast an uplifting vision of that person's future. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look at John chapter 1, 45 to 48 together right now. Read in a big, loud voice with you right now. What does it say? It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, can and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. See what's going on. See, in this passage, Jesus is meeting Nathanael for the very first time. And Nathanael would grow up to become one of Jesus' young disciples. And the first thing that Jesus says to Nathanael, it's like the 30-second rule. He says, it, he says, here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. In other words, I see in you, Nathanael, a genuine son of God. I see in you, Nathaniel, a man of integrity, a man who can be trusted, someone who's blameless. Now, was Jesus deluded? Did he know, did he not know that Nathaniel had sinned? Of course he did. 
Did, did he not know that Nathanael had all bunch of flaws? Of course he did. In fact, Jesus would not be there if he did not know. It's because he was here to die for Nathanael's sins. He was here to die for our sins. But the reason why Jesus says that to Nathanael and says, you are a genuine son of God, you are a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false, is because he, Jesus, is casting a vision for Nathanael's life. He's casting an uplifting vision that is bigger than the vision that Nathanael had. It's bigger than the life that Nathanael lives. And Nathanael, he hears this vision that is so uplifting. And he says, how did you know me? It's as if there's something that struck a chord with him when he heard Jesus' vision for him. How do you know me? That's exactly the person I want to be. How did you know that that's how I felt? That, how do you know that's my dream? And so Jesus, he, he takes Nathanael under his wing because he cast a vision for him that was bigger than what he was living. How many of us know that God is the greatest encourager? Amen. God encourages like no one encourages. In fact, there's a song that we sometimes sing at Thrive. It's called Sanctuary. And that song goes something like this. goes, when my world was in darkness, you spoke your word, night turned into day, your beauty filled this place. And what it's talking about, it's talking about how God speaks his word into our lives when everything was dark. And because he spoke, now there's light. Let there be light. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And, and, and God, he, he spoke his word into your life. And as a result, there is light that wasn't there before. There's hope that there wasn't there before. There's peace that there wasn't there before. There's purpose that wasn't there before. It's because God spoke his word, because God is an encouraging God, amen. And he encouraged us in three ways. Let me give them to you really quick right now. He gave us his word, everyone say his word. He gave us the Bible, he gave us scripture, which the Bible says is for our encouragement, not for our punishment, but for our encouragement. It's so that he wants to encourage us with his promises. The second way he encourages us, he gave us his son, Jesus. Everyone say, Jesus. Is that when we were separated from God because of our sin, when there was no way we could reach God on our own, God said, I love you, I want a relationship with you, so I'm gonna send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven and have a relationship with me. And the third thing he did is that God sent his Holy Spirit. Everyone say Holy Spirit. Is that not only did God forgive you of your sins through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, but even more, the Bible says that if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that God puts the Holy Spirit in your heart. And now you have what he calls the comforter, the counselor, i.e. the encourager in your life. You have heaven's greatest encourager living in your heart today if you have Jesus in your life who can counsel you, who can comfort you, and who can encourage you to become everything that God made you to be. If you believe that, come on, give God a big, big hand in this place. Let's give him praise right now. And here's what I find is that through God's word, through God's son, and through God's spirit, and through the people in your life, God is always casting a bigger vision for your life than what you are living. Let me just end with one last little story for you. Is that uh, many of you guys know that we have uh, a son. He's five years old. His name is Bradley. He's the love of our lives. He's our biggest joy. And uh, there's something that we do with Bradley every single night. Every single night. We have a routine. And the routine goes like this. We'll eat dinner. We'll play a little bit. Uh, make, take a bath. I'll brush his teeth. But the most important thing that I'll do for Bradley every single night is that we'll all, the three of us, will go into his room, he'll sit in bed or lie in bed, and I'll place my hand on Bradley's head, and I'll just say, God, 
thank you that Bradley is happy, healthy, wise, strong, loving, obedient to God, obedient to parents, and brave. May he continue to grow in all of these ways. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and that's my vision. That's our vision as parents for Bradley. And praise God, he is a great boy. He, he makes us proud every single day. And it's because our vision for him is that he would be a happy, healthy, wise, strong, loving, obedient to God, obedient to his parents, and brave boy. And even on days when he has a bad day, and, and, you know, and everyone's got a bad day. Every, everybody's got those days when we don't really do what we want to do and all that stuff. Even on those days, I'll still pray the same prayer. Thank you, God, that Bradley is happy, healthy, wise, strong, loving, obedient to God, obedient to his parents, and brave. May he continue to grow in all these ways. It's because God's vision for your life never changes. Amen? And maybe you're here in this place today and you've lost your vision for a relationship. Maybe there's someone in your life that you used to believe in so much, but then something changed. Maybe you had so much hope for a relationship at one point, but then something changed, and you've lost that vision for that person. You've lost that vision for your marriage. You've lost that vision for your kids. Can I tell you this today? Is that God is here to restore your vision, amen. Because you cannot encourage people unless you have a vision for them. And can I tell you, being a great encourager doesn't begin with what you say it begins with what you see until today if you've lost that vision if you don't see an uplifting vision for that person can I tell you this God wants to restore that vision to you he wants to give you a new vision for that person because when you have that new vision you can encourage them you can receive the encouragement that God has for you you can give the encouragement that God wants to give through you come on if you believe that give God a big big hand here in this place together right now Give him a big shout as well because he's here in this place. Come on. Tell your neighbor, give him a high five and say, I want to be an encouragement to you. Let's all stand up here. We're going to respond to God. Praise God. Just where you're at. Just where you're at. Come on, just stand up where you're at. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to lead you in a time where you can respond to the word of God today. And my question for you is this. Is today we've been talking about the power of encouragement. We've been talking about how your happiness in your relationships depends on the words that you speak. And my question for you today is, do you want to be a more encouraging person? Do you need to be a more encouraging person? Is there someone in your life you need to be more encouraging to? If that's you, then we want to give you an opportunity to respond to God just by praying a prayer together right now. And I'm going to encourage you to do this. If you want to become a more encouraging person to the people around you, in your home, in your workplace, among your friends, in your school, in your church, then why don't you just raise your hand to God right now. Just start raising your hand to God right now. Just raise your hand high as a reflection of how much you want God to work in your life. And why don't you just start praying out loud with me right now in your own words from your heart and just start responding to God's word this morning. Just start talking to God this morning. Say, God, make me a more encouraging person. Maybe someone who affirms others. Maybe someone who has a good vision that uplifts others. Just start, start praying to God right now. God, let me, let, let me know the difference between how to rebuke someone, how to encourage someone. Let me know the difference between how to uplift someone and how to, and, and, and how to give them encouragement that they really need. Come just start, start talking to God right now. Start talking to God right now. Start talking to God right now from your heart. From your heart, just start talking to God right now. Start talking to God right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name today. Jesus, praise you. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? Keep your hands raised to heaven and say, Heavenly Father, today I realize that my happiness 
in my relationships depends on my words. Help me to be a better encourager of the people in my life, in my home, in my workplace or school, with my friends, when I'm online, in private, in public. May I be an encourager of others. May I speak words that affirm the good in others. May I cast a vision that lifts others up. May I encourage others with my presence and with a good attitude. Thank you, God, that starting today, my relationships will not be the same. And that because of Jesus and your encouragement, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? With every head bowed and every eye closed, just one last group we want to pray for is those of you who've never received Jesus Christ into your life. Maybe you're here today and you've heard about God's love for you. Maybe you've been to church before, or maybe this is your first time at church, and this is the first time you've ever heard that God loves you, that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. And if that's you, then we want to give you an opportunity to open up your heart to receive Jesus. It's the most awesome thing you can do. The Bible says that if you believe with your, in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you will be saved, that you will have a brand new relationship with God. You will be forgiven your sins. You will be a child of God. If that's you and you know that you need that today, why don't you pray this prayer with us right now. Let's all pray together in support of those praying it for the first time. If you need Jesus in your life, pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for me, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins so that I could be forgiven. Thank you that you rose from the dead to give me life and a relationship with God. I receive you today into my life and I thank you that because Jesus is in my heart, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give Jesus a big hand? Give him an encouraging shout right now, come on.